0: Well, it's uh, always a great time for me as we wrap up a series and put everything together. I find that God's Word, it's wonderful how it all kind of ties together, and it helps us to live a uh, consistent, coherent, and purposeful life. And so uh, today we're going to be bringing our our series of faith at work kind of to a close, but hopefully not the concepts of that. There's a reason we started the whole year with this is is that faith is a very important uh, portion of, of what we do, right? That faith with, uh, is uh, it, it's really the foundation upon which the Christian life has to be built. Uh, and really, uh, if we remember our, our anchor verse for this, there's a reason for that. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? That's where we started on this. Uh, we have to make sure that we're living lives of faith, not just that we have faith in our brains, but that we have a faith that is expressed through our entire life. And the, the context of Hebrews 11:6, 6, which I hope you've taken some time to memorize and to meditate on. It's a really simple passage right there. But the reason why I don't you have that is, is that the context there is, is in that Hebrews 11, as we saw, there was examples of people who didn't just walk around talking about how much they believed in God, but there was the examples of people's lives who were expressed in their faith, how they loved God and how they trusted him in the midst of some pretty difficult things, some pretty hard tests, some pretty uh, challenging times. But because they leaned upon God, not only did they please God, right? But they were also, God did amazing things through them. And so in this series, we've gone through, we talked about faith, what it is, Hebrews 11.1, giving us that wonderful definition that we have this this expectation this confidence in and what god promises and who he is right we we don't trust in what we see we trust in god too we may not see yet but there's a lot of evidence for him but we trust in him and his character and his goodness and his plans not our own reasoning we don't lean on our own understanding but we trust in the lord and we follow him right that's that we have that core it's we're recognizing that this faith then is not just about a mental assent, which is what belief is. Faith is, is really a loyalty to God. That's why we talked about that faith in its fullest form is faithfulness, that we have this loyalty to God, that we give him our whole hearts, our whole lives. Like Jesus even talked about, what's the greatest of the commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That, that we want to be a people that seeks after God fully. That's where we talk about worship being whatever our lives revolve around. And God needs to have that center place. He's got to be on the throne of our heart. We talk about that, right? He's got to be the one whom our, our very lives are, are loyal to. We're anchored to him. That's faith. And then that faith, that it, it, it grows by, by following after him. It grows by... by living our lives as though God is real, as though, as the scripture tells us, that, that without faith it's impossible to please God because, as it keeps going on, by faith we know that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so by faith we have this opportunity, we see our faith grow throughout time as we follow after God, as we persevere, As we continue to live our lives as though this God whom the rest of the world says, you Christians are crazy. You believe in a God, might as well be a spaghetti monster. Boy, are they wrong. Because our God put on flesh. We just celebrated that in communion. Our God walked amongst us. Our God spoke to us in the Holy Word. And if you have doubts about this, start studying how we know this is from Him and not just from, from people. It's amazing. God has proven Himself over and over again, and yet I still don't see Him. And we live according to his promise, and we trust him, and our faith begins to grow. The longer I follow after him, the more that I persevere, the more that I continue to trust him in my life, those acts begin to grow in me, and my faith grows up, just like Abraham. And then today, as we bring this together, I wanted to talk about not just your faith, how your faith grows, but I want you to see how our faith together, the power of our faith, uh, what it can do when... When our faith is applied together in community, because this was God's design all along. So if you wouldn't mind, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts chapter 2. See, in Acts chapter 2, it's a, it's a New Testament's right after the Gospels. Really, it's the second portion of the Gospel of Luke. Luke was long-winded, or long, I don't know, he wrote a lot. <laughs> Ran out of scroll, right? So he had to start up again. The Gospel of Luke carries us all the way to the point of the resurrection. And then Acts continues on with the church, how it begins post-resurrection. How does the church grow? And we, we start in there in Acts 1.8. We have this, uh, this, this vision that God had given the church, right? He, he tells the church, listen, uh, I want you to expand this, what I've done here, right, that, that you're going to be my disciples, you're going to tell people about me everywhere, right, and, and you're going to start in your hometown in Jerusalem, and then you're going to go to that region, Judea, Samaria, right, and, and then you're going to go to the very ends of the earth, which seemed ridiculous to a group of a 12 or well, 11, one of them didn't even make it that far, uh, terrified nobodies. Because God was asking them to do something that was so much bigger than them that unless God was still at work with, this, with them, it wasn't going to happen. You know, before that, in the Gospel of Matthew, with the Gospel of Matthew ends, Jesus had resurrected. And he met with the disciples. He said, go up to Galilee. So they go up to Galilee. They go to the mountain there, which we talked about last year. People are going to Israel two weeks ago. Like, he, he meets with them there. He has breakfast with the apostles, cooks a nice little fish breakfast because that's delicious. Right? And later on, he goes up onto this mountain, and he tells them, listen, guys, here's the plan. That, that you who are my disciples, so I don't want you to go. I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. Again, this was a very big call. We call that the Great Commission. And Acts, the second portion of it, the vision, how big that commission was going to be. Not just for a a select handful of people in Jerusalem or even in in, uh, Galilee, but this was going to go global. And so we see Jesus' promise. He says, guys, listen, I want you to go do this, but be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. In Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to, to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But he doesn't say, do it right now. He says, but first, go away in Jerusalem for a little while until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right, You're not going to be able to do this on your own. But once you are partnering with God and you're living by faith, then then God's going to do something so huge, so spectacular through you in a group, as a community, that the world will be transformed and has it ever. You know, we find not long after that, as you're reading in the Gospel of Acts, that, that we find that The the disciples do that. They go hang out in this upper room. They're just waiting around, waiting for God to show up, and then he does in the most peculiar and strange ways. There's a big sound of wind, but nothing's blowing around. And then there's flames of fire over their heads. And, And then they decide to get all excited, and they go out to tell people in the community about Jesus, and they're speaking in other people's native languages all the same time. It was so crazy that a few people who saw this were like, man, those guys who are multilingual and very articulate must be drunk because that's the natural conclusion. But I love their response. Others were like, hey, it's only like 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not going to be drunk this early. Listen to what we have to say. And the hearts of the people of Jerusalem who had yelled, crucify him, who were there participating in the condemnation of their Messiah by the thousands at the foot of the temple itself in opposition to the brutal leaders who killed Jesus came to be baptized. And 3,000 that day, 3,000 that day came to Christ in the most hostile anti-Christ environment you can imagine. And these were those who themselves, with their own lips, asked for Jesus to be crucified. And grace came down, and and the the word began to to spread, and the church began to grow in in power. It's an amazing thing. So now you have a megachurch with 12 guys. You don't have a whole lot of management experience. And you have all these people who were wanting to follow Jesus. And and how why did they want to? Their hearts were were convicted. They had a lot of them had, had seen and and the risen Lord Jesus had I been mean, walking around for 40 days, talking with people. They had seen the miracles, they recognized their mistake. They were like, okay, it's time for a change. And they begin to follow him, but they don't know. They hadn't walked with Jesus for three years. What does the church do? Was it enough then for all of the Christians who had met Jesus, right, who had, who had given their lives to him in Jerusalem at that time, was it enough for them to be like, okay, you're saved, go home. Just now, you know, your sins are forgiven, God's, you're not, you know, he's, he's given you his grace. No, go and be a Christian on your own. Go find him in the wilderness. Go, go on hikes and you're going to be with the Lord. That's going to be your experience. That's going to be your church. Because what, is church really a place to grow in our faith? No, no, no. What happens next to the church? Because this is what's so powerful. If what happens next, we read in Acts, didn't happen, then we wouldn't be here today. The world would not be changed. The people themselves would have been changed, absolutely, but the world wouldn't have been changed. So their faith had to be practiced, not just in person, but in community. So let's read it. In Acts 2.42, it says, they, these are the new Christians, all of these people who were just baptized, what do they do? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, you see that word, Devotion. This is not just a casual, well, I'm part of the Christian club now. I mean, devotion, it's a a strong or a great commitment. This is not something that they were like casually dipping their toes into following Jesus. They had recognized they murdered their Messiah, and now they're going to follow him. And with the same gusto that they yelled, crucify him, now they say, yes, Lord, and they follow what God wants. Great commitment. And here's the thing, that any church that does not have a great commitment to God will never do great things. And Jesus never came to this world. And if you look at it, read the Gospels. It's kind of offensive. He tells people, follow me. They're like, hey, i got to bury my father. He's like, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus doesn't look for a small commitment. He's not looking for mamby-pamsy, weeksy little Christians running around doing their own little selfish things. He says, the throne on your heart is mine. And I want your loyalty and I want your devotion. That is what he asked for. That is why when we participate in the blood of Christ at communion, we die to ourselves again. Every time we take it. (coughs) Devotion. They devoted themselves If you want to know why God has been looking weak in your life, if you've been asking, where is God? Why don't I see him in my life? Maybe it's because you've been weak with God. Maybe we've lacked devotion. Maybe we've lacked faith. Maybe we said to God, do for me what I want because I'm still on the throne of my life. And then you wonder why God's not serving you. God is not following you. Jesus is not following you. He invites you to follow him. He wants your heart. He wants your all. early church got this they devoted themselves and what did they devote themselves to the apostles teaching what's the word they wanted to know what god had to say you know every year i do a spiritual retreat and how i start that spiritual retreat is i tell god everything that's on my heart not that he doesn't know i just want to make sure he gets it (laughs) right And, and not during that time, I'll fast. I won't eat or anything like that. I'll drink some water so I don't die. But, but I'll be like, God, there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. Sometimes I'll write it down. I'll be like, oh, Lord, look, read it. Sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes up to three days just to empty out all the stuff that I have, all my requests, all of the, the things that I think that God should know. But there comes a point at which I am exhausted. There's just nothing left. And that's when I'm finally quiet so I can listen to him. Then I'll break my fast, have a little bread and, and, and water, and I'll wait. And I have already told him everything. And it's amazing how God begins to speak. And how does he speak through me to me? Through his word. Because God is still speaking. He has things to tell us. See, I got all the things out that I wanted to tell God, but what really matters is what God has to say to me. What really matters is what God's will is, because it's his will that needs to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Not Aaron's, trust me. I've got some really good ideas, but most of them are really bad. All of God's ideas are great. All of what God asks is good. And we want to hear from him. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was not a group of people that were de- devoted themselves to having their, their, their way in this world. It wasn't a bunch of people that got together and said, well, this is what we think that we ought to do. They said, God, what will you have us do? Devoted themselves to it, studied it, heard it, listened to it, made sure they got it, and then to the fellowship. This is why we see the church was powerful. They had a right message. They were learning truth, but they got together. Faith was designed to be practiced in community from the very beginning. If the early church did not devote themselves to fellowship, then the church wouldn't have gone anywhere. Then There would be a few people that would be believers or whatever, but the power of the body of Christ is when the body is put together. If you have any doubt about that, you could try cut off your hand, cut off your arm, cut off your leg, and see how well that works for you. Are you able to do more? Separated, disjointed, blown apart? Probably not. That we were called to put our faith in practice together. They were devoted to fellowship, which means that it sometimes it takes commitment. Just as when we devote ourselves to God's word, we have to submit ourselves and say, God, not my ideas, but yours. I want to know what you have to say. And every time I read God's word, I put myself in a very precarious situation of having god tell me something that i don't want to hear to send me in a direction that i didn't want to go to test my faith in a way that that i didn't think i was ready for but i devote myself to it because i want to know his truth but i also have to devote myself to fellowship and there are days that i just don't want to fellowship it's nothing with you guys usually it's just me being lazy right sometimes it's a beautiful day and i would rather be hiking Some days, there's a really great football game on. It's just so hard to be here and have a message devoting to God, but I'm like, let's speed this up, Aaron. We (laughs) got to go. There are days where my heart does not want to be here, but I'm not here because I'm following my heart. I'm here because I'm following Jesus, and he calls me together. And so devoted to the fellowship, your presence is a form of worship, and by the breaking of bread, this communion, this church, this early church, was not devoted to their own works of self-righteousness. Although they did a lot of really good things. They weren't devoted to their own ability to, to be so smart and to understand God's ways and to be just on a, a much higher uh, intellectual level with the Lord than anybody else, although they were because now they understood the prophecies, the Messiah, all those things, but that's not... The main thing they were devoted to to remembering again and again that they're following a savior who died for them who rose again to give them new life that that they were that were there by god's grace through faith that there was a community of grace not by what we deserve and so they kept obeying christ they followed his command. They, they broke the bread. They shared communion. They reminded each other again and again and again, brothers and sisters, we love each other not because we naturally love each other, but because God first loved us. And we forgive each other not because everyone's worthy of being forgiven. In fact, no one's worthy of being forgiven, but because God first forgave us. And we don't live in shame any longer. Not because we don't have guilt, but we're a community of those who have been redeemed. And so every week, We come back and we devote ourselves, reminding ourselves one more time again that I nailed my sin to the cross and I receive forgiveness and life in His mercy. But also, they were devoted to prayer because this church knew what God had called them to was so much bigger than they could ever take credit for themselves. They're supposed to save the world, transform the world. And this is a bunch of people, especially the Jewish people at the time were told by God in the old covenant, stay away from the world. They're icky. But now Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? Are you kidding me? And then the ends of the earth? Yeah. You know, we need God's help. And this was not a church that was devoted to doing things in their own power. They wanted to, they needed to be connected to God and his spirit, and it wasn't just their pastor and the prayer team that were praying. They, all of them, devoted themselves to prayer. We need to be hearing from God, asking God for his help. And did you know this? We have an enemy. The Bible talks about it. He's a bad dude, pretty smart. And he's well-equipped, and he's motivated. And we need God's protection and his help. We need his wisdom. We need all of those things, and this church recognized that it was not going to be by their own wisdom or their own power that God was going to do, uh, that they were going to do what, what God had called, but it was by God's power and his wisdom that they are going to do what God called them to do. Key things. This is a church that lived by faith. And guess what? Pretty pleasing to God. And next verse it says, this is fun. Everyone's filled with awe with the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. They got to see the power of God manifest in their lives. And it amazed them. Everyone, not just a few, everyone filled with awe. They got to see God doing more than they could, they could explain. They got to see God do more than they could take credit for, right? And, and why? Well, you don't get to this if you don't have the first part. They were devoted to him. They were devoted to the word, not their own understanding. They were devoted to to making sure that they're they're fellowshipping together. They're they're devoted to living by grace and faith. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted church. And devoted churches see God's power, and it's fun. That is something that I love, being part of this church, because I know so many of you are devoted. In fact, you're all here. Praise God. And you know what's amazing as we pray for each other? How many times have we seen God's miracles? Sometimes in a healing, yes. Sometimes in a rescue. Sometimes in provision. Uh, we've seen God restore people's hearts out of nowhere. Open up people's hearts in our own families and lives that we felt so far from God they were never going to turn. And out of nowhere all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I think I want to I hear about this Jesus. How do we explain that? There are so many weeks that I'm just filled with awe. As we pray for you, and you come and you say, Hey, Aaron, that you've asked, we've been praying for this together, and this week there was a breakthrough. God works. And it, but he requires faith first. He wants that from us. He wants our heart first so we don't worship the answer of the prayer. We saw that they did. Everyone, this was the norm in the church, and the norm of the church is an experience with God. Notice that it wasn't just the norm for an individual why because there were people in the early church who were more faithful than other members But guess what everyone got the benefit. They were all growing together One more reason that we need to practice faith in community Next two verses all the believers were together. Hey, there's fellowship again It's not all the believers were in this city They were all together They knew each other There's a thing called fellowship. They actually began to learn to like each other, which is pretty ridiculous. But if you look at Jesus' apostles, you had guys that were there. One of them was a, a political revolutionary, and the other one was a tax collector. And they should have ripped each other's throats out. But they got to know and love each other. Fellowship is a weird, bizarre thing in the body. And do you know in our church, we have Republicans and Democrats And out there, they just rip each other's throats out. But in here, we embrace and care for each other and love each other. How cool is that? Fellowship is a bizarre thing in the body, but it's beautiful. They were together and had everything in common because they recognized that none of us really owns anything. God owns all of us. They were set free from the traps that keep this world divided and at war. Now, this was not a, a communist system. It wasn't that the apostles were like, give us what you have. That's not what we read. So that their own hearts were moved. They recognized that they loved people more than things. Because loving things more than people is greed. But God began to set them free from that. And they recognized that their whole life was an was expression of worship. Putting God at the center. And so what happened is sometimes they sold property and possessions to give who had need. If they saw a need and they had the ability to help, guess what? They helped. What does this look like? Love. Because love is caring for another more than you care for yourself. And how do we know what love is? Jesus first loved us. He gave us what we needed, even if it cost him a whole lot. And we are able to love one another in a unique and a different way. That we... We pray for each other. We encourage each other. Sometimes we have to give accountability to each other and challenge each other because we love one another. But also, I mean, it's so cool. And we talk about the annual meeting. So much of uh, the church did a lot in benevolence this last year, like we do every year. But the majority, the great majority, never came through the church. I get to know that because people are like, hey, Pastor Aaron, I know there's this need. I don't want them to know who it is they gave. but But can you just give that to them, doesn't go through the church, doesn't go through the budget, just passes through. Or there'll be a need and somebody will call up and somebody else will say, hey, I've got this thing and I, I feel like God wants me to help. And I'll be like, sure. And I connect to the two a- and needs are met. That's healthy, that's good, right? Because it's love, it's real community, it's real fellowship. It says every day. Now here's the part, that's fun. This is the part, that every pastor in the world is like, oh, I want to see this, right? This is what every Christian was like, oh, I want to be part of this, right? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day they met in temple courts. That's going to church. That's going to an assemble area. And what is church? Church is the assembly of God's people. That's literally what it means, right? And in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we find that that assembly, like a family, has a structure that God designed because it represents him. Churches have pastors. They have to. Elders, right? They have overseers, right? There's, there's, there's structure. There's deacons. We have a role and a part to play. Every day, these people, every day, I mean, if I stress that again, every day... <laughs> They went to church. They were devoted. That's, that's a high-level devotion. But they didn't stop there. They broke bread in their homes. Do you know that you can practice communion with believers? There have been many times in my life where I have, I've had a brokenness or a fear. I've had something where I was just really struggling with. And I would meet with a, a couple of my, my brothers of faith, right, and we'd be talking about it and if there was conviction. I didn't have to wait to Sunday that we would take communion. We would confess sin and we would remember the blood of Christ. And freedom came then. So a fresh life, right? I could start it. I could start without worrying about the guilt or the shame. It was amazing. And that draws hearts together. They they met together and they broke bread and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Do you know that having meals is kind of nice? That's how we get to know each other. In fact, think about when you were young and you would go on dates, typically you would go to eat. Something happens when the walls come down when you're eating. Hearts connect. I don't know why it works that way. I'm just glad it does. (laughs) Right? And then praising God. It wasn't that they were so impressed with their leaders. They had the apostles as their senior pastors. Way better than me, right? They had the apostles as their senior pastors. But who are they praising them? No. They're praising God. They're seeing God at work amongst them, which is even better. And we still have Christ with us now. right? Their focus was to bring God glory in how they lived and how they met. And what was the effect in enjoying the favor of all the people? Remind you that this was Jerusalem just a little over a month, after they murdered Jesus. This was not an easy climate in which to be a Christian. There was a high social cost to it. There was a stigma to it. And yet, all of the people, even those who didn't understand Jesus yet, couldn't, anything would be like, man, this is is an incredible group of people. How many times we think our culture is too dark for the church? Oh, they're going to hate us. We have to like hide up in our little church hidey hole. So we're around people who like us. And the, the Christian life overcomes wickedness. Why Jesus said that on His rock He's going to build His church, and the gates of hell won't won't overcome it. There is a favor amongst the people. There's something that resonates in the soul when God shows up and He's manifests Himself amongst His people. It's beautiful. It's exactly what the soul needs and thirsts for. And there was favor. And, and so what was the effect then? The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You know that God didn't grow an unhealthy church. Why would he do that? God did not grow a church that was weak in faith. Uh, he didn't grow a church that lost his first love. He didn't grow a church that was all about their own things, their own ideas, doing things under their own power. He wasn't about to grow a church like that, but he did grow a church that was filled with faith and lived by faith and had their faith working amongst them, not just as individuals, but as working together. And the effect was transformation every day in this very hostile environment, even priests, And lawyers of the law were being baptized right at the very foot of the temple itself, declaring their allegiance to their Messiah. Every day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. They went to Jerusalem. And if you continue to read the book of Acts, you're going to see how they went to to Judea and Samaria. And even by the very end, to the ends of the earth. And you know that for most of us within our lifetime, not very many years, like I don't know how healthy you are, but like if you could just hang on a few more years, <laughs> the gospel is actually going to be, the Bible will be translated in every spoken language on earth in our lifetime in just a few years. How did a group of 11 scaredy cats accomplish this? Well, what we found is that in this passage, we see what God can do when the faith of a church works together. What did they do? Well, we see that faith that works together it empowers strong fellowship. That's one of the evidences of a faith that works together. That's why church is so essential. I remember oh, when I was in Bible college, and uh, I had a you know the practical ministries professor, and he took us to a the bonfire that they had for the high school football team, the homecoming team. And there was this big old bonfire, and it was raging, and it was like super-duper-duper hot. And this guy was a marathon runner, and like, so he liked to do running a lot, and he was a little bit crazy. And, uh, and he got a stick, and he ran like close to the bonfire, and he knocked out one of the little logs that was in the bonfire. It was on the side, and it was all like raging and hot. And He knocked it out, he came back, and it was singy hair, kind of, it was hot. And, and then you saw that stick that was separated from the fire, still within the warmth of its glow, but it started to go out. And eventually, it took a little while, it started to smolder and smoke, and it went out. And he, he didn't say anything, right? But I was curious. We were all curious. You're like, what is this nut? Like, he didn't want that stick to burn? Like, what's the deal? So the next day, we were in our practical ministries class. He said, did you all see me move that stick from the fire? (laughs) We're like, yeah, you're a crazy man. Why? He says, I did that to show you something. He says, when you are in a church, right, we want to make sure that that we are together. Because when we're together, our faith builds each other's faith. But when somebody becomes separated from the church, it didn't hurt the rest of the bonfire. The rest of the bonfire still burned. I mean, it wasn't as hot, maybe just a tiny little bit less, but it still was fine. But the one that was removed went out. And he says, when you are a pastor of your people, of your flock, you have to love them enough that those who go missing, you go after. Because you can't allow their faith to go out. That none of us have the ability to have our faith just continually just grow on our own. It doesn't work that way. And and we see that faith that works, if we really believe that God exists, that he really rewards those who earnestly seek him, we're going to be dedicated to the people that he loves. We're going to be part of the body he died for. We're going to care for one another to be about his purposes, not just our own. And that builds fellowship. It builds an idea to say, listen, if I really believe God exists and he, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him, all right, then, then I'm going to forgive because I've been forgiven. And I'm going to like people who normally I would normally get along with because God cares for them. I mean, that's why like, I, I tease about this oftentimes, but I know our culture is so polarized. That's why it's so awesome that in our congregation, we have people from all across the political spectrum. Some of you are just wrong, but I still love you. <laughs> st- right? And you love me too. We see things different, but we have Christ in common. And, and God is giving us a fellowship that bridges across borders and boundaries and walls that this world says cannot be breached. See, faith empowers a strong fellowship, a dedication toward one another, a care for one another. See, the church is a family more than anything else in Scripture. We're called brothers and sisters. We're supposed to love each other. church is a body. We're supposed to be put together. But, that we also see that the early church, when they had their faith work together, it was something else that happened. It's a faith that works together to empowers transformational discipleship. See, these Christians, they didn't, they didn't end up the way they started. And their city didn't end up the way it started. And the world didn't end up the way that it, that it was when they had started. You understand that? that? That everything changed when people came to Christ. Everything. That's the effect. God did not come just to, to forgive sins. He came that we would have new life. New life. I'm tired of living old, dead ways. I look at the world and I see how it's broken people. I see how it leads to anxiety. I see how it leads to depression. I see how it leads to hatred. I see how it leads to death. I see how it destroys families. I see how it destroys people's lives and, and their relationships. I see how it leads to greed and bitterness and rage. I see how it leads to emptiness. People finally are able to be financially free and so empty, some of them even kill themselves. I am tired of living a dead life. God, give me a new one. I have purpose. I've got a church family. I've got relationship with, with others and God. I have peace inside, and that leads to peace without. Right? I have the ability to do more in my life than I could ever take credit for. God has given us a new way of living. God is transforming me. He's transforming us. And by doing so, he's transforming this community. And he's not done yet. So this church had a great commitment to outreach. Jerusalem then Judea that's easy Samaria oh they didn't like Samaritans and yet the gospel was there and grew to the ends of the earth you know the first Gentile baptized was a Roman officer in the military who was stationed right there to oppress the Jewish people let that sink in And Peter, with his mighty sword, baptized him, embraced him as a brother. That's powerful. You see, they they were committed to outreach beyond their understanding. They were committed to evangelism beyond just the the groups of people that they liked. They were committed to growing in faith. They were committing to following God, even when it was not what they would normally do. They had devotion to the Word of God and to the fellowship of God, to, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and they were transformed. Faith that works together will lead to this. When we practice our faith in community, this happens. We also see this, is that faith that works together empowers worship. Worship is not just songs. Songs are a way we express our worship. But you hear me say this all the time because it's so important. Worship is whatever our lives revolve around. It, whatever, whatever is the centered most thing in our life, we're not going to touch that. Right? The arc of our lives will actually move around that thing. So in our time, whatever's most important, that's the thing that takes priority. And we will adjust everything else in our schedule in order not to touch that thing. Right? with our abilities, with, with our energy. Right? Whatever is at the center of our life, we're going to use the best of us to serve that purpose, whatever that is. And so if we're like, well, I'm too exhausted, I don't have the energy, I don't have the, the, the bandwidth to help, right? because I'm putting all of my energy into this, that's what we worship. We worship's at the center of, what we, of our finances, whatever our budget moves around. The one thing that we don't move, right? the things that are untouchable, Worship. And what did we find with this early church? Christ was the center of everything. Look at their time, every single day. Don't tell me that didn't get in, 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 in you know, a crossways with some of their other things on their schedule. Right? They had to make sacrifice. There were other things that they could not do. But what did they not give up? The meeting together. Or how about how about with their energies? Man, they were serving one another. They gave their best to each other first, to the building of God's kingdom. And don't tell me that didn't mean that they had less bandwidth to go do other things. How about their finances? I mean, even some of them, they was their all mortgages even. They were like, God, you first. You're going to take care of us. You called us to love one another. They put God first. They worshiped God. We see that faith that works together empowers true worship and as you will become a true worshipper it helps me to become a true worshipper. We pull each other into right alignment into this world. And all the things the devil tells us are going to happen if you worship God. You're not going to have enough time. Pagans have 7 days a week. You're only going to have 6. God made time. You're not going to have enough energy. God only gave you so much, so he's not going to give you enough skills and energy to be able to do all the things that he's called you to do. You know, God can make a donkey talk. He can make me effective, right? You don't have enough money. Pagans get to use 100% of their dollars for whatever they want. Yeah, pagans live in, like, perpetual anxiety. No, thank you. My God takes care of me. See, faith that works together puts God at the center, and as the more of us that have God at the center, the easier it is for us to, to put Him there. Which leads to this last part, that faith that works together empowers the church to prevail over anything, even the gates of hell. Now, I'll tell you that society, culture, is pretty difficult. It's a, it's a hard place. We were born behind enemy lines. Our culture is pretty anti-Christ. Not the first time. We'll transform it. Why? Because as bad as our culture is, it's not as nearly as strong as the gates of hell. We're not afraid. got to stop being afraid. Like what the world says, well, if you follow Christ, you're going to be a pariah. You're going to be one of those crazies. We're going to mark you awful. Guess what? As we practice our faith together, we're going to enjoy the favor of all the people. Because we're going to practice true love and true forgiveness and true hope and true meaning. We're going to live a life amongst the people in darkness that shines like stars amongst them and will lead to the glory for God. They're going to see in us God at work. The church prevails. It has prevailed over wars. It has prevailed over pestilence. It has prevailed over persecution. It has prevailed over poverty, and it does it all the time. We're not afraid. The church is so strong. We're not worried about being wiped out. You understand that, right? There are more Christians in communist China than there are Americans in the United States. That, that the enemy has nothing on us. Nothing. So we recognize our faith when built together, it will prevail. Churches that fail are churches like Jesus warns in the, in the book of Revelation, lost their first love. He removes their lampstand. When they stop being devoted, when they stop, being, they stop living by faith, they stop pleasing God. It's not that he doesn't love them anymore, but he's like, this is not what I called. A church that prevails is a church that centers on Christ, that worships God together, that serves God together, that is a church that practices our faith together. And that's the kind of church that transforms the world. So let's talk about us. Our mission as a Christian church of Estes Park. Why are we here? Christian Church of Esses Park is a fellowship. Devoted to that, aren't we? Of what? Believers with a great commitment. There is that that idea that we are greatly committed to something. We we have dedication to what? The Great Commandments and the Great Commissions. That means Jesus is on the center of our heart. The things that He told us to do. Great commandment, right? We're going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to love each other at least as much as we love ourselves. We're devoted to this. And the Great Commission. We're going to make disciples of of all kinds of different people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching these disciples to learn to obey Christ in all things. He's going to transform us. We have a commitment to this. So we're committed to know God's love. And that's one thing. If you're here, I want you to know God's love first. You have to receive his grace. You have to understand how deeply God loves you. To not just know about God's love, you need to know God's love. And, and that's something I hope that you, you gain in this time as, as we fellowship together. But also you need to grow in that love. To not just start on, like, can you imagine how shallow a relationship would be? It's like you had a first date with your wife or whatever. She, she was a girlfriend at the time, right? And then your relationship never changed. You never got over small talk. Like, your your love for God should grow. You should center Him in your life more and more as, as you get to know who He is. But also, love God and others. That as we know God's love and we grow in that, to be able to actually serve God and to, to care for Him. To, to make sure that He's... More and more becoming that center point in my life and our lives, and that needs to be expressed by how we care for one another. If we love God to the exclusion of people, God is not too pleased with that. He says, "How can you? How dare you say you love me if you, you have not seen if you don't care for each other, who you see all the time?" So we need to be a church committed to that kind of fellowship and care for one another, serving one another. But then we also have to go and share God's love. This church was never planted here to be a refuge for the saints. It is a base of operations for the transformation of this community and world. That's what it's about. So what does that look like? Our vision for this is we're going to be disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Generational means that we're going to see the next generation come to faith. Sometimes through our families, sometimes in our our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in the clubs that we're at, we want to see people come to faith. We want to have evangelists. All of us are evangelists, just like the early church. All of us have a call to love God and serve him. All of us. That's why we have you pray for people all the time, right? We want to see transformation. I don't want a large church of people that say perpetually immature in their faith. I'm not about having a holy daycare, right? We're growing up. We have a holy family of faith. We're going to grow and we're going to change this community, right? There's something in you that's going to be transformed. You're going to go from, from death to life. You're going to go from immaturity to maturity, You're going to go from having a small faith like Abraham began with to having a large and transformative faith. That's something that's going to happen. And we're going to push you towards that just like a good parent disciplines and pushes their children to grow up. Start acting mature. It's going to happen. But that transformation doesn't just happen here. We're going to see this Estes Valley transformed. And do you know we're not the only church in the United States? We keep thinking about top-down change for our government. Yes, pray for our leaders. Let's get some Christian politicians. I'd love to see that. But we're going to transform this world like the early church did, changing hearts and lives in the communities that we live with. How dare we say that we're going to transform our our culture by taking over media if we don't care for our neighbor next door, if we're not caring for our children and our parents, if we are not transforming the people's lives around us. We see a transformation that's what we're called to. We're going to change, and we are changing. We also want to be disciples of Jesus. You do not need to follow Aaron Dorman as your leader. You need to follow That's who we need. I mean, the Lord could take me any day. I mean, there could be an asteroid or, I don't know, a spy satellite just falls off from the sky or something, just takes me out. Follow Jesus, right? I'm going to, I'm going to follow after him, and I encourage you to come along with me, right? We want to see christ's way and his life and his power at work amongst us we want to go to his purposes not ours so how are we going to do this i put together a strategy because i'm a coach and it just seemed wrong to me to have a, a vision without a strategy that's becomes a dream so i put it together but this is how it happened as i prayed and i fasted and i was like lord how are we going to get this done and I, and I worked on it for months, and then one day I was driving up to the church, and God said, what do I want from you, Aaron? And I said, well, you want me to be a worshiper? And he says, that's it. So I came up to the church, and I pondered that, and I started, I a spreadsheet, because I'm a nerd. And I said, practically, if we began to worship God as a community, as a faith, and we began to practice our faith together, and worshiping Him in the, with our time, our talent, our treasure, what would that look like? Well, one thing is that We would worship God in spirit together in truth by praying five days a week. That's what that would look like. Because the church was dedicated to prayer. Shouldn't we be dedicated to prayer? But not just prayer for anything. Shouldn't we be putting our prayers together? That if we're praying strategically for God's will, let's begin praying for God's will. And so I encourage you, first on Mondays, pray for our new home. Why? Do you know that turning into this parking lot requires an expression of faith that many in our community just don't have that big enough a step? Right, the, 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 it, We want to reach our whole community for Christ. We're going to transform our whole community for Christ. Our location is wonderful as it is. And I, I have got my own ideas of what I'd love to see God do with this particular place. But, but we need to be in the community, transform the community. You know, the old uh, communities in, in, in our country Ed, and were surrounded by, like the church was at the center. And you say it's impossible. I say God does the impossible, but he's not going to do it if we're not praying. But don't just pray for the new space with parking. Pray that God makes us the right people because he's never going to put us into a new space until we're ready. Which is why the next day, pray for our families. Our families and our culture are under attack. There are families in our church that are under attack. Pray for each other, right? Bring this to God. Say, God, make our families strong. Encourage each other. Those who are single, those who are married, those who are empty nesters, those who are widowed. Pray for each other and pray for our families. This is what the enemy's attacking. This is what we're going to be going into the world. We're going to be building back godly families right here. In all generations, in all those different ways, pray for it. Wednesday, pray for our community. Do you know that God loves Estes Park? Sometimes we don't love it enough. Pray for our leaders and those in authority. Pray for, for our police chief, our fire chief. Pray for those that are on the, the school board. Pray for their teachers, right? Pray for our community. On, on Thursday, pray for five people to invite. Why five? You'll see why in a minute, but it's important. And plus, you have five fingers, most of us right, unless you were a shop teacher. So you got five fingers. So just pray for five people. If you don't know five people who don't know Jesus or don't have a church home, then, then we're going to get you out, right? Just stand outside of Safeway for a little while. You'll meet some people, right? But pray for five people who need a church family, who need to know God's love, need God's transformation. Pray for them because you're not going to change their lives, but Jesus will. So start praying for them. Pray for not just that they would receive Christ or find the church, but that God would provide an opportunity for you to invite them, that they would prepare their heart to receive that. That when they come, they would receive God's grace, That the enemy would stay away from Pray for them. How about this Friday? Pray for our church because we are going toe to toe with the devil and we're going to beat him. And we are actually, we're being pretty darn successful, but he slugs back and he fights dirty. So pray for us, pray for our elders, for our pastors, pray for the health of the body, pray that we don't have dissension amongst us, pray that we don't get given away to fear or to greed, that we don't give away to, to making things about us or to pride, pray for the church, pray for it. And you know that those are on the back seats behind you, all five of those things I encourage you to pray for. And you, the best way to do that, put a little reminder on your phone that just reoccurs every once a week that tells you that's a period of time, pray for this thing. And then you won't forget. All right. Oh, why? Okay, so the next thing that we're going to pray for right here. Oh, here we go. Our strategy. Oh, this is what it looks like when our strategy is put together. I, I was so proud. of You talked about, talk about I, did a, I did a spreadsheet, and I want you to know I'm not lying because I'm a nerd. I graphed out, if our church does this, Right? This is our average attendance from 2021, which was 114, right, to, uh, to 2028. We'll move up to about 443 on average Sunday attendance. If you, now this, it, it, if 50% of you bring five people a year, 50%, right? And, and we go from right now, 43% of people from Esses Park who come here the first time come back again and actually join the church. We move that from 43 to 47 over five years. That's, those are the, the things that we're looking at, right? This is how we are going to grow. And this is assuming a 20% turnover. SS Park has, has a 14%. I'm assuming I'm going to offend an additional 6%. <laughs> so we're going to have 20%, right? This is how it's going to grow. Now, right now we're in 2023. We're looking to have 155 by the end of the year. This is one of the things we say, this, are we practicing this? That's what faith would look like. Also, uh, look at this, our service hours. I want to have our church give more service hours to our community than even Crossroads crossroads is great i don't want to take anything away from crossroads i just want to double what they're doing why because we're the people of god let's serve our community that's why we have our say yes ministries where we grow people into that we started out with 291 service hours people in the church serving god with their their time and their abilities right we started there last year had 540 hours that we tracked next year i want to i think we can more than double that i really do And uh, uh, we have, uh, Becky's been doing a really great job with the say yes things. We've got new ministries. And this year, we're really focusing on that. This is an easy target. I thought we're going to blow this out of the water. But this, we're going to see, as we serve our community, guess what? The favor of the people. Doors become opened for the gospel, right? Begin to love people we serve. That's what's going to happen. Now, this is money. For those of you who like money, how is that going to work? Talk about a new community As we begin to give, right, uh, as we begin to grow in that, I'm asking you guys to to give just a little bit more, come a little bit more, serve a little bit more. As we grow, uh, 2022, we brought in $368,000. Blows my mind, right? But our our operational budget, we actually spent less than that. So every year, we have a little bit in saving. That's that red line. And then that bar is how we're adding that savings together. And right now, we're going to be saving for a new building, right? So we're ready for it. In about seven years, we'll have about a million dollars saved up in the bank, right? So we can buy a place in to sell this place, and then use that to fix it up or whatever. That's how we plan to do that. But here's the cool thing is that that bottom line on 2028, I'm hoping, praying that by that point, if we continue to have the same amount of, of spending per person that we bring in, right, our ministry budget doesn't shrink to serving our people, but we don't increase our, our operations budget as much as we uh, bring in uh, uh, funds, right? We would have $410,000 that first year to directly go into the community and serving our community. This is a community of like 6,500 people. That's a lot of dollars per person. We would have the ability to really help with childcare or with education or with the, the huge number of lonely people that we have in our community that, that are being completely neglected. Right? This is why I don't want to do a building campaign. This is why I want to build the church so that we can change this ch- community. You see, the strategy to fulfill what God has called us to do has very little to do about you doing works. It has everything about us together worshiping God faithfully. So how do you practice that, right? This is what I'm asking us to do, to pray five days a week. I want you to attend, by the way. I don't know my slides got messed up, but five more times this year than last year. Just, just start coming a little bit more. I'd like you to be here every week, but just, right, Serve just a little bit more. If you're not serving in the church yet, start serving. Let me know. Say, you know, I'd like to start serving. Put on your connection card to say yes. We'll help you start serving. Give just a little bit more. If you gave a dollar last year, give a dollar and five cents. If you're tithing, great. That's, That's what we're asking, right? I encourage you to just start worshiping God just a little bit more. And invite five people. Maybe half will come. That'll be great. And you'll see what happens when we all practice that together. Okay? So, what I'd like us to do as so our next steps this week to follow God in faith is the first thing, memorize Hebrews 11.6. Can you do that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, so let's live by faith. Next thing, read Acts 20-28. through Because what I just presented to you, a transformation of Estes Park, is impossible for us to do on our own. God's going to have to do a work. right? What, what, this is a miraculous thing. If we're worshiping God, He'll do it. But read Acts 20 to 28 because God is the same God today as the one that was back then. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's still, it's still time, right? So it's not the end of the age yet. So he's still here. Read what God can do. Next thing I'm going ask you is a to do, to join our Take Five strategy. It's on your seat back in front of you, it's on the yellow sheet, uh, typically every single week of your bulletin, like what are we doing, right? The, how do we pray for? It's here that this is not going to happen unless we practice our faith together. So I encourage you, let's start doing this. Next thing, that says 40 days. It shouldn't. It should be four months. Take a four-month tithe challenge. Why four months? Because it's, it's easy to remember. But also, I have a way that I've been preparing for and, and to, to encourage you and to pray for you. And last week, we started this and had two dozen people in our church decide to start that. So that's awesome. That's a, it's a massive portion of our congregation. If you are not a tither yet, I'm going to challenge you. This is a great way to begin worshiping God. Why do I start with tithe? I only did this three years ago. I don't particularly, uh, you know, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about it, but I'll tell you this, it sets people free. That's why. But it's also the easiest of the ways to worship God. If you can worship with your time, talent, or treasure, treasure is the easiest. Because time, you can't make any more of that, right? And your talents, people are so exhausted in our culture. So let's start with the easiest. Start tithing, 10% to God. Well, what are his promises? Malachi talked about this last week. Right? When, the, when the nation of Israel was lost its way and was not worshiping God, they weren't doing things together, God called them back. And this is one of the things he called them to do. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He was recapturing their heart. There's something deep about where we spend our treasure, where our treasure our heart is also. We want to love God with our whole heart's mind strength. Right? We want to serve him. So bring the whole tithe. If you haven't been tithing, this is going to be a step of faith. When Amy and I did this, it was a huge step of faith. But God is there. But our God is also really cool. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And So the Apostle Paul, like I shared last week, in 2 Corinthians, he was taking up an offering even above the tithe of the church to, to give as a gift to, to the church in Jerusalem. He writes this credible principle, a spiritual principle to us. He says that, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you give God just the tiniest bits of your heart, he's going to do something. But But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And he's talking about there, investing your your worship through your things to God. There is a benefit to it. And I think the greatest benefit is peace. Because I know that God has me. I am not beholden to the stock market anymore, or the market of this world, or even the offerings of the people. My God has me, and he's done the impossible financially in my life. So I have trust. I have peace. And I encourage you, if you've not done so yet, start tithing, start worshiping Him, because you see what we're going to be doing with you. you see what God is going to be doing through us, and I invite you to start worshiping God, practicing your faith here together. We'll see God do some amazing things. All right, so take that 44-month things, and if you do, let me know. Write it down, because I have uh, uh, some materials I want to send you. I'll be praying for you all this this time, uh, so encouraging each other, because uh, you're going to need that. The enemy's going to come against you, so I'm going to really want to make sure that we're supporting you. Let me know, and uh, add you on to the other two dozen, and we'll be uh, worshiping God together, all right, last one, place my faith in Jesus, if you're uh, uh, attending here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, start there, accept his faith, his grace, be saved, be born again, so you can start living this new life, if you need to take this step, we have baptism, it's perfect day for it, I'm going to be right over here, just come talk with me after the service, I'd love to share with you here, why, uh, answer your questions, and help you take those steps of faith to the great new life that God has called for us. Okay, so I've given you all a lot of things to do. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna let you go so that I can get onto my next thing that I gotta teach because I'm late. All right, let's pray. Father God, love you. We do. Thank you for your amazing truth. Thank you for the peace that you've given us. Lord, take our faith. Use it together to build your kingdom for your glory. We ask for all of these commitments we make that they would uh, draw our hearts to you, not be acts of, of legalism, but Father, expressions of our faith in you. Grow our faith so you can build transformational discipleship in and through us. Father, we we pray for those right now that should be uh, struggling with that, have doubt, give them the strength to to overcome that doubt, to follow you. Just like uh, the the prayer of that that wonderful Father uh, says, I believe, help me believe, help us to believe, Father. Use us mightily for your glory. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus.